Well, our passage today, we're going back into the Lord's Prayer, and uh, we're going to complete that and take up the next two verses after the Lord's Prayer. And uh, what we're going to see here is that there is a strong foundational connection between a believer having a forgiving heart and being able to pray effectively. We're going to see the connection between those two. Uh, A lot of this message is going to be focused on actually what forgiveness is. And if you're like me, I go through cycles where I learn things and I think I've got it and then I I go through the same thing again and I learn more and I think, oh, I didn't really get it before I get it now. And then that happens again. And and so I learn by experience. But in our very first church, um, we had an incident arise that involved a, a family, a couple families, and um, I, we, you know, I responded to it the best I knew how, and it ended up with uh, that family leaving the church and being really angry with me, and some other families left the church. And when you only have 100 people in your church, um, you know, having three or four families leave is a really big deal, and I felt like I was being um, slandered and, and, and attacked and one of the families that left, actually, I had led them to the Lord and discipled them. So that was, it was very personal to me. And I was very deeply offended. And I'm going to say this, guys. It's hard for us to say these words, I think. I was hurt. Okay? And um, I, I held in my heart unforgiveness against them. And what my very first response was, God, they need to pay for this. You're going to make them pay. I know you are, and I want to see it. I want to be. Ju- I wanted to be justified, and what that would require would be some sort of public act of God in these people's lives, where everyone would have to look at it and say, "Oh my, they shouldn't have done that to Van. Oh my, they, Van was right and they were wrong." Okay, it didn't take me very long to realize how awful that was. And so I backed off from that thought, and I said, okay, God, uh, you know, I, I, I'm, I don't need to see it. <laughs> Literally, I went through this progression. I said, I know you're going you're gonna to get even with them for this, and I don't need to see it. But then my third step took me a step further in, into the realm of forgiveness, and I, I prayed that God wouldn't hold it against them. And then I thought, okay, I've finally, I've completed this act of forgiveness. God won't hold, don't hold it against them. But I still had a knot in my stomach if their names were mentioned or even if I saw someone that looked like, like them, reminded me of them. And, and so a step further, not, not just praying, God, don't hold this against them, but I prayed, God, bless them. Bless them. Just, I just pray blessings on them. Just, Forget all of that. Just bless them. They deserve your blessings through Christ. So just bless them, Father. And there I thought, boy, I've really hit it now. I've hit the pinnacle of forgiveness. And, and I do believe that's when we've really forgiven. When from the heart, I can honestly pray, Lord, bless them. Just bless them. They, I want to see them blessed. And then a few years later, uh, lo and behold, See, I had gone to other older pastors through this whole process, God counsel and advice on what to do, and they reassured me that I did everything just the right way, which only further justified my hurt and my desire to see justice occur. But eventually I realized I was really wrong 
I, I really made some mistakes in this. And at the very least, my heart was so wrong in the way I handled this situation. And that was freeing. That was freeing. Because I no longer could sit back and judge them. And you know, it doesn't make any difference to percentages. You could say, yeah, well, they were 90% wrong and I was only 10% wrong. You do that, you're still justifying yourself. It's the recognition that I'm a sinner too. You know, I mean, I, I, my, okay, my nature is not that of a sinner. I'm righteous, but I still, still do mess up. I still sin. And, and, you know, why would I have expected more out of them? And, you know, they're fallen as well. And when, when I could really embrace that, then I think that's when I really entered into freedom where I could see them again and not feel any like anxiety in my heart. But this whole idea of freedom from um, unforgiveness and freedom from bitterness and, and walking in forgiveness, it really is tied into prayer. And so we're going to read right now the Lord's Prayer and then the two verses following it, which are directly tied into it. I'm going to, would you stand with me, please? I'm going to read verses 9 through 11, and then we'll read verse 12 together, okay? And then I'll read verse 13, and then we'll read verses 14 and 15 together. You get that? Okay, so let's start. We'll do our best. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people, with me, with me, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. All right, thank you. Have a seat. Pretty powerful statement, isn't it? We're going to try to get to, uh, to the, the core of what he's saying there. But on the surface, effective prayer and forgiveness are tied together. And you might ask the question, well, why are they tied together? How are they tied together? The first thing is this. Effective prayer means that I can hear God's voice and I can sense what God's doing so that I can pray in alignment with what he's doing. You know, Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. And if I have unforgiveness in my heart, which very quickly becomes bitterness, then I'm not going to have a clear, a clear heart and mind and spirit to hear and see what God's doing around me or in the lives of other people. And that's going to hinder my prayer effectiveness. When I pray, then, it's just taking a shot in the dark. I have no idea if this is what God's doing or not. And so it's really essential to prayer itself so that I have a clean heart and a clean spirit and I can discern what it is where God's working, how he's working, and pray in alignment with that. If I don't forgive, then that's going to be greatly, greatly hindered. Now, the second thing is this. Forgiving is essential for community. It's essential for unity in a church body. And, you know, Jesus looks, looks at us as his family, you know, the father is a father because he wanted a family. 
And he wants a family that gets along. He wants a family that can have Thanksgiving dinner without fear that there's going to be some big thing happen. And because we're all imperfect, and because we all still have all these wrong belief systems that lead us into wrong actions, forgiving and learning to forgive and forgiving quickly is just crucial to a church body having unity of mind, unity of heart, and unity of spirit. And without that, then prayers are hindered. And there is something incredibly powerful about a group of people who are bound together in Christ and who have bonded bonded together in the cause of Christ. There's something powerful about them all praying for the same thing with the same heart. And so for these two reasons, but for a lot more than that, Forgiving is is so important. And so verse 12, he says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. And here he looks at um, an offense, an offense against against you as as incurring a debt. And and so when someone offends you, there is a debt. And and it works like this. What he's doing here is looking at um, offense and sin, sinning against another person as uh, from, the, from the perspective of justice. And so an injustice has occurred, a balancing act of justice is required. That's, there's a debt there. And so hold on to that thought because of verses 14 and 15, he goes on. Well, that, that's why people will say, uh, you know, I'm going to pay you back for that. You know, I'm going I'm to get you back for that. Meaning, I'm going to balance the scales. I'm going to take care of the debt that you owe me. And verse 14 and 15, he goes on, he says, uh, if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. We'll just stop there at verse 14. Here, he refers to the offense as sin. The other translations, I think, rightfully call it transgression. And, And the Greek word for transgression is from the word meaning to step, you know, to walk. And it's a form of the word that means to misstep, to step over boundaries. It's kind of like you're driving down the road and someone coming towards you and head in the other direction crosses over the center line. They have transgressed. They have come over into your space and something horrible could happen as a result of that. And so transgression looks at the offense, not from the perspective of debt, but from the perspective of boundaries crossed, uh, either accidentally or intentionally. And it is one of the synonyms for the word sin. And in the Bible, the word sin means this. It simply means missing the mark. It's used to describe slingers in the Old Testament. And it says they, they could all, you know, a slinger with a sling where they sling a stone. And it said they could all sling and never miss their mark. And the word there used is they could sling and never sin because they didn't miss the mark. And so sinning is actually just missing the mark of what God created us to be. You know, this book is not a book of rules that God made up. This is a man, a, an owner's manual. This describes how we were created. It describes how we function best. It describes, you know, like if it's a car, it's what type of oil do you put into the car? What type of spark plugs should you use? It's telling us how we have been designed to live and to function. And so when we 
when we deviate from that, we're missing God's plan for us. We're missing God's will for us, and that's called sin. So here, though, he uses this word transgression. And then the word forgive is a really interesting word because it, at the core, what the word forgive means is to send away. And so to dismiss. And so, you know, like you have a sergeant and you have his uh, platoon there, and he says, dismiss. And what, what that means is you're all free to go. You can leave, go. And so when we forgive someone, we are dismissing the debt that they owe because of their transgression against us. Okay, so we're dismissing that debt. We're, we're sending it away. But in another, in another way to translate it would be to release it or to let it go. But it, the, the word is more forceful than that. It doesn't mean to release it in the sense of, you know, let, let's say I see an apple on the counter in the basket and I pick it up and I bite into it and it's rotten. Okay, I'm first of all I'm gonna spit the rotten piece out of my mouth and then do I just say, oh, this apple's rotten, I'm gonna let go of it. No, I don't do that. I go out in the back porch and I fire it back into the woods and I think you know, probably some poor animal will eat it. But uh, it's, the word is more forceful than just let go. It's, it's more like throw it away. Fire it, get, get it out of your life. When you forgive that person, you're taking the debt they owe you, you're packaging it up, you're wrapping duct tape around it, and then you're waiting for the garbage truck to drive by so you can toss it in the garbage and it is gone. Does that make sense? Okay, so it's so important that we get this because people will think, well, forgiving is... You know, how, how can you expect me to forgive when, when they've done what they've done to me? And th this whole idea, uh, converse of this, unforgiveness is a demand that the debt be paid. It's like waving the papers of debt saying, I, I, I'm, I'm calling this loan, I'm calling this debt. I want it paid and I want it paid now. Now, there are many ways that we do that, try to make people pay. Uh, the other day, someone was driving so slow in the fast lane that I had to go over into the slow lane and pass them, and I didn't even, did this without thinking, but as I'm driving by, I'm looking over at them, like, what are you thinking, you know? <laughs> and, I mean, that was trying to make them pay. Fortunately, they weren't people I knew. But, uh, <laughs> it's, you know, there are a lot of different ways we do that. A, a bad look, a... Um, uh, Silence, you know, just silence, cutting them out of your life, walking into a room and not greeting them, greeting everyone else but them, uh, ignoring them, so harsh words. Gossip is one way trying to make people pay. And you know what it is? It's like I'm sharing with other people what happened so they weigh in on my side. That's one aspect of gossip. The other aspect of gossip is I want you to know what kind of person they are. And I hope you won't be their friend anymore. You'll just be my friend. And so that's, gossip is really trying to make the other person pay. But whatever we do to try to make them pay, unforgiveness always leads to two things. It always leads to me focusing on my pain. Nurturing the offense and focusing on my pain. And the second thing it always leads to is me reliving the event. When I haven't forgiven, 
then I go over that event over and over and over. And sometimes you go over the event, you think, oh, if I had just said this at that point, it would have shut them down or whatever. But it's, the, the, those are signs of the fact, those are signs of unforgiveness. And unforgiveness has a very high price to pay. You know, someone said once that unforgiveness and bitterness are like drinking poison and hoping the other person dies. And so unforgiveness has a high price to pay for our own health. And there have been studies done on this. Unforgiveness raises your blood pressure. It raises your heart rate. It impacts and and, uh, weakens your immune system. And it's related to chronic pain. They found when people who were holding on to unforgiveness and also had chronic pain forgive the other person, oftentimes that pain is reduced significantly, if not altogether. And so it it impacts our health, stress, uh, more likely to fall into depression if I'm holding grudges against people or or indulging bitterness, more likely to become addicted. If, if I'm unforgiving, all of these things are true. But in addition to all of that, unforgiveness hinders the good relationships I want to have. And so often people that are, have been wounded and they haven't been able to let go of it. And by let go of it, I mean pick it up and throw it off into the trash. Throw it into the woods. Get rid of it. A forceful action of dealing with it. That... People who hold on to offenses, they will also say, well, nobody likes me and I can't find any friends. And there's a reason for that. And that's because when people hold on to offense, their heart grows bitter inevitably and bitterness spills out. And who wants to hang out with a bitter person? It's no fun to, to, to hang out with and become best friends with a bitter person. And so Hebrews 12 says this, He says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one comes short of the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springing up causes trouble and by it many be defiled. That there be no immoral or godless person like Esau who sold his own birthright for a single meal. So much we learn here about unforgiveness You know, first of all, it is part of our growth in Christ to learn to forgive. And and he says that if if I hold on to unforgiveness, it becomes bitterness. I'm falling short of the grace God's given me. You know, God's already given me grace to forgive this person, and, and I'm refusing to utilize that grace. I'm falling short of the grace of God. But then he goes on and he says that um that that bitterness springs up, causes trouble, and it defiles others. And so it impacts the relationships I want to have. I want to have good relationships with my family, with my coworkers, with my friends, but I'm holding bitterness against this person in my background, and depending upon the depth of that bitterness, it's going to impact my relationship with my spouse and my kids and my parents, my brothers and sisters, and everybody else in my life. It affects everybody. And so it, it, it has this horrible downside that makes it just because of that I should forgive. Just because of that. And then he goes on, he says, like he refers to Esau who sold his birthright. Do you know what our birthright in Christ is? My birthright in Christ is a new nature. A Jesus nature. My nature is no longer that of a sinner. My nature is like the nature of Jesus. It's righteous. 
That is my birthright. But if I'm going to embrace bitterness, then what I'm doing is I'm saying, you know what? I'm so mad at this person, and I so much I want to be justified in this that I'm willing to set aside my birthright of a pure heart in Christ and hold on to this bitterness. And so that's all stated right here in in this passage. But I've, I've been asked this question. Isn't forgiving them, isn't that like saying what they did is okay? Isn't that like saying, well, okay, they really hurt me, but I'm going to forgive them for it. Isn't that like approving of what they did or blessing what they did? And I just want to say this. No, it's the opposite of that. Because to forgive, you have to recognize and acknowledge that wrong has been done. And so it's not, it's not, it's not saying that what they did is okay. It's saying what they did was wrong, but I'm going to follow the way of Jesus And because of who Jesus is, in order to maintain a pure heart and and to walk in my identity in Christ, in order to honor Jesus and to follow him, I'm his disciple. He forgave. He forgave the very people that were killing him while they were in the act of killing him. I'm going to follow him. And for the sake of the community of believers I'm with and all my friends and family, I'm gonna forgive this person. I'm not gonna let that hold on to me and grip my heart and my life. And ultimately, for the sake of unity in prayer and effectiveness in prayer, because what Jesus is saying when he ties that passage, those two verses right after the Lord's Prayer, it starts with the word for, which means it's directly connected to the Lord's Prayer. And so it's central, right there in the middle, forgive your debts as you've been forgiven. And, and then four, if you don't forgive, Father won't forgive. If you do forgive, you'll be forgiven. So um, Jesus really sets the example, I think, for extreme forgiveness on the cross. Stephen did this also, the first martyr. As he's being stoned to death, the last thing he says is, and it says right before that happened, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. So I I wanna point this out. Even though I have a new nature and a new identity, which is a forgiving nature, it takes the Holy Spirit working in and through me to overcome some of the old thought patterns I have so that I don't rely on old, old belief systems, but I rely on this new heart that God's given me. It takes the Holy Spirit to illumine my mind to see that and to rest in his power sometimes in, in order to, to forgive. Now, Jesus said this, though. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. So not only does the Holy Spirit draw up that new character in me, and when, I, when I'm tempted to live my old way and out of my old thoughts, and I think, oh, boy, they, I'm going to treat them like I did when I was in high school. When, when I'm thinking that, but then I say, no, wait a second. No, I, I'm a new creation in Christ. I have a new heart. I have the heart of Jesus, and, I, and I'm going to forgive them. What happens at that moment is the Holy Spirit, he's already been working in me to show me that, but then he just floods into me and gives me the, the empowering then to actually carry the act of forgiveness out and to walk in forgiveness. But what he also gives me, and, and this is crucial to real, real, genuine, extreme forgiveness, he shows me the state of humanity. 
And it's important that we recognize that we're dealing with a fallen humanity. And even if it's another Christian, which many and often times it can be another Christian, they are acting out of the old ways. They're not acting out of the new nature that they have. And so when I begin to, when I begin to see that, then it enables me to have this foundation of thinking that no longer says, well, why did they do that to me? You know, they were so wrong. It's kind of like, well, okay, th that's what happens in this world. People offend us. People transgress. They step on our toes. They step out of the way. They get in our way. They block us from doing things and, and experiencing things we want. And, and we're able to say, okay, God, at this point in history, that hasn't all been remedied yet, but I'm part of the remedy right now because I'm going to forgive them for it. I'm not going to hold on to this. I'm going to forgive them for it. I'm not going to let this work of Satan where he's attacking me and trying to draw me into bitterness. I'm not going to let that happen because I'm a new creation in Christ. I know Jesus, and I'm going to follow him. And I, I understand, you know, the world, the world is broken, and pain comes. And so there, it's, it, that insight gives us a foundation to, uh, to, uh, to, to have extremely deep forgiveness. But then he goes on, he says, if you don't forgive, your father won't forgive you. What does that mean? Is he talking about ultimate forgiveness? Is he talking about someone who is, has accepted Christ and they're headed to heaven? And uh, have you ever seen Seinfeld, the soup Nazi episode? You know, this really gruff guy that made the best soup in the world. If you stepped out of line when you were going through his soup line, he would say, no soup for you. And it's not like the father is in heaven saying, oh, you, forget, you failed to forgive. No heaven for you. It's not that at all. If it was that, then going to heaven would be based on works. Salvation would be based on our good works of forgiving. But the Bible in Titus 3, 5 says, it's not because of our works of righteousness, which forgiving is a work of righteousness, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. And so it's not talking about eternal, uh, eternal final forgiveness here. And to understand it fully, we need to understand that this, uh, this, a statement like this has a first statement and then a follow-up statement, and it's called the apodosis and the protosis, and the, just technically, that's what it is called. But the first statement, make it, the, the two statements are parallel in thought, and so the first statement in a large degree defines what the second statement means. If you don't forgive... And what type of forgiveness are we talking about here? Not a forgiveness where I remit their sins, all of the sins they've ever committed in their life, and they become born again and they go to heaven. It's not that. It's not like an eternal, I mean, my forgiveness will be eternal, but it's not like I'm giving them eternal life when I forgive. It, it, what I'm doing is here, it's here in an earthly plane. It's spiritual, but it's still on an earthly plane. And, and so what God does is, all, is defined within that context. If that's what forgive means for me, forgiving the other person, then that's what it means when God is forgiving me. And so what it's saying is that there are earthly consequences to unforgiveness. And God the Father is saying, if you don't forgive them, 
I, I, I'm, I, I think what he would really be saying is I can't protect you from those consequences because of the way the whole age is developed and the way the whole age and the kingdom works. If you're going to refuse to rely upon the new nature I've given you, if you're going to refuse to follow me in radical obedience of forgiveness, then you are stepping out from under my protection. And, and that's, that's the best way, I believe, to take this phrase, that the Father will not forgive you. And so there are natural consequences, there are relational consequences, and there are spiritual consequences to a lack of forgiveness. And we need to recognize that. In Matthew 18, there's a story there of a servant who owed his master a huge amount of money, something like a million dollars. And the master forgave him for that million dollars. Forgave, it's just, okay, I remit that, it's gone, the debt's over. But then that servant of his went to another servant who owed him something like $20 or $100 and just a little, little debt, and he demanded payment. And he said, if, if, you know, if you don't pay, you're going to be thrown into prison. When the master heard that, then the master called him a wicked slave, and he says, you were granted so much why wouldn't, you give some to, why wouldn't you give forgiveness to this other man? And then it says this in verses 34 and 35, Matthew 18. And his master moved with anger, handed him over to the torturer or the tormentors until he would repay all that was owed him. And he says, my heavenly father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Now, I like the word tormentors instead of torturers there because it fits better with what we experience. Uh, there would have been literal torture, but tormenting is somewhat different than that. And uh, what, what it, it's important to recognize this is a parable, okay? Parables are not one-for-one one points to develop theology from. And so when you see this, like the master who is representing God in this parable, he's angry and, and it's vengeful. And, and uh, we're, we're not picturing God like that. He doesn't deal with his children that way. But it also, when it, when it, um, when it um, says he'll also uh, do the same to you if each does not forgive his brother from your heart, what, what he's saying there is he's gonna release you to it. If you make the choice that you want to hold on to bitterness, then I believe it's in love and with a heart desire to see repentance. In fact, you read other places in the New Testament that that would express God's true nature and heart. It is with love and a heart's desire to, express, to, to lead to, new, to, to true repentance that the Father says, all right, experience what you want to experience. If that you're choosing that, then I'm not going to withhold that from you. But what happens is this. Um, in Ephesians 4, it, it tells us this. It says, be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And do not give the devil an opportunity. That's a foothold. And so when I hold on to anger and unforgiveness and anger are just hand in glove, it becomes bitterness it opens me up to all sorts of spiritual attack. Even a, even a true believer in Jesus, it opens us up to spiritual attack. And not only do I have to deal with the heart wound that I have, 
that is going to fester and grow worse over time because I'm, I'm focused on it and holding on to it. And not only is my own conscience going to bother me, constantly telling me, reminding me of my sin, and not only am, is being around other Christians who are joyful going to kind of put me off and make me angry, which happens, and the Holy Spirit's continued um, conviction but there's going to be increased demonic attack and incursion into my life if I don't forgive. And so forgiveness is, um, is the key to me having a pure heart before Jesus, a, a pure, keeping my heart pure, just walking in the new nature he's giving me, given me. Forgiveness is key to that. And, and if I don't, it's going to mess up my ability to perceive what God's doing, so I'm not going to be able to pray effectively. It's going to impact all the people around me, including the church body or the small group or the group of believers I'm part of. It's going to impact that, which is going to impact their effectiveness in advancing the kingdom because it impacts their prayer. And, the, um, and, and, and it's, it's just, it's, there's such a high, high price and the tormenting of evil spirits leads to sleepless nights. It's guilt and shame. It's fear and anxiety. It's deep anger. It's bitterness. It's digestive problems and high blood pressure and all sorts of other issues. And, and it's just, I mean, why do any of us want to walk in that? Why don't we see it's not worth it? I live in a broken, fallen world. Of course, I'm going to be offended by people, but I'm going to follow the way of Jesus, and I'm going to be a radical forgiver. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to engage in extreme forgiveness, which means they could do their very worst to me, and I'm going to forgive them. And I'm not just going to set it aside. You know, it's possible to put it in a box, wrap it up, duct tape it, and set it on the shelf in case I want to get it out again. That's why I say, no, you wait for the garbage truck to come by, and you toss that box in the garbage truck. You throw it in, and then you pull the handle that makes the big smasher come down and crush it, so it's gone. It's gone. You can do that with the power of the Holy Spirit. Will, do you want to come up and help me into the service?